Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello again, this is Jay Shapiro. Thanks for listening. An item that I want to bring to the attention of the listeners that I I do not discuss in detail during the program because the news came fairly late is the fact that the Israeli cabinet passed a one billion shekel investment plan aimed at significantly developing the Golan Heights. The plan calls for doubling the Jewish population there in the next three years, building two new towns and boosting the local economy. If there is one issue on which the majority of of Israelis agree, it is the Golan Heights. This month marks the 40th anniversary of the Knesset's passage of the Golan Heights law, which applied Israeli law to the Golan captured by Israel from Syria in the defensive Six-Day War of 1967. This new plan is to boost the population in the Golan Regional Council and the Katrin Local Council between 2022 and 2025. Today, incidentally, 53,000 people live in the Golan, 27,000 Jews, 24,000 Druze, and 2,000 Alawites. In other words, the Jewish population in the Golan Heights is only half the population, and the idea of the new bill is to increase it. The goal of the decision is to double the number of residents on the Golan Heights. In other words, in the coming years, an additional 23,000 residents to the area, including an additional 4,000 units in new communities, and in addition, 7,300 units in the Golan Heights Regional Council, and 160 million shekel will be invested in improving quality of life and investments in high-tech industry. That is very, very good news. It's better late than never. Thanks for listening. I'll discuss other issues in the rest of the program. did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. Hello, 
You're back with Jay, Jay Shapiro. I want to say a few words about a subject that never appears in the headlines, at least to the best of my knowledge, and that is the relationship between Israel and Ireland. The Irish Parliament, on the night of May 25th this year, staged a legal kristallnacht against the nation of Israel. Following an avalanche of vituperative anti-Israel and even anti-Semitic diatribes by members of the lower house of parliaments, its members voted to discuss a motion on whether or not Ireland support the BDS, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions legislation, to try to strangle Israel economically. Ostensibly, the BDS movement's goal is to shift world opinion to declare that Jewish settlements and historically er, historical areas of Judea and Samaria are supposedly illegal seizures of Palestinian Arab land. In truth, the principal and outspoken objective of Palestinian organizers of the BDS movement is the destruction of Israel. Disturbingly, the May 25th motion was fully supported by at least two of Ireland's leading NGOs sponsored by the Irish Catholic Church. Pro-BDS in particular, they make no pretense about, about being objective. Fully a third of Irish members of parliament voted to remove Israeli diplomats from Ireland. The Sinn Féin party is a democratic socialist party and that won the most votes in Ireland's parliamentary election in 2020 has been spearheading the increasingly anti-Israel and anti-Semitic orientation of Ireland's foreign policy. And I choose my words carefully, anti-Israel and anti-Semitic. Ireland, by virtue that it stands alone, its official state-to-state -state condemnatory against Israel's policies, policies and what they call the territories, is, according to the Irish foreign minister, perceived as supposedly the most anti-Israeli state in the European Union. Other, U other European Union states may often be critical of Israel's policy toward the Palestinians, for example, France and Belgium and Luxembourg, but they're not really can be called anti-Israel. They can more or less be defined as pro-Palestinian. The uh, When Luxembourg's foreign minister hosted a convocation of several EU states or were considering granting recognition of a state of Palestine, uh, Sweden, Belgium, and Ireland were a few of the states that sent representatives to this meeting. Unfortunately, there has been virtually no pushback from uh, Ireland's general public or civil society institutions. This pro-Palestinian rhetoric and criticism of Israel is not only unjust, 
but it has morphed into blatant anti-Semitism by some political and cultural Irish public figures. The um, Some of them uh, have said that Israel is a part of the uh, world can Jewish conspiracy. Sounds like something out of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was an anti-Semitic document. The uh, it's interesting. The, there is a uh, Jew, a Jewish representative council of Ireland, and they pointed out that this kind of message straight into classical anti-Semitic langu- language. There is understandably some sympathetic sent- sentiment among Irish people for the Palestinians. There's also among Israelis because nobody wants to see people suffer unnecessarily, uh, particularly under its own corrupt leadership. The, uh, the Palestinian leadership has full autonomy over much of the territory under dispute. Under dispute. The Palestinians long ago in the Oslo Accords of 1993, they, settled, they, they signed to settle these disputes by direct negotiation. There's a um, interesting, they interviewed Palestinian shopkeepers in Dublin, and they suggested it's a shared feeling with the Irish of having fought against the British. However, there's little evidence that the bulk of the Irish people support this prejudicial attitude and assault on Israel, much less the poisonous and anti-Jewish rhetoric. All Israelis have identical rights under the law. You could be a Muslim, a Christian, a Druze. Israeli Arabs can vote. They have political parties and prominent job opportunities and members of Israel's parliament. The uh, confusion likely arises because the people known as the Palestinians are not Israelis. They're Arabs who fled from what is now Israel when the five Arab countries attacked uh, the Jewish state on May 15th, 1948. Now, these countries are hoping to destroy Israel and its crib. And after Israel's unexpected victory, Arabs who had fled wished to return. They were refused because they would be considered fifth colonists, the people who have shown support or sympathy for the enemy. So what happened was the Arabs who had fled suddenly found themselves displaced. These are the people who call themselves Palestinian. The Arabs who stayed in Israel during the war are full-fledged Israeli citizens. They have the same, same rights, and they're represented in the Israeli parliament, the Knesset. Now, in Ireland, Jew hatred is not well up from the general public, seems clearly driven from the top down. These attacks on Israel include salvos from several uh, members of the Irish parliament. Uh, I could name the names of these parliamentarians in Ireland who were anti-Semitic, but it, it would mean nothing to the listeners. Uh, there, there are people who represent districts in Dublin who have called for the expulsion from Ireland of Israel's em, em, embassy. Leading Irish novelist uh, uh, named Sally Rooney uh, turned down an offer by an Israeli publisher to translate her latest book into Hebrew, and she expressed, expressed support for the, D, for the BDS. Now, 
It could well be that the launch pad behind the scenes of much of this anti-Semitic rhetoric might be the outsized influence enjoyed by Ireland's Muslim Brotherhood, uh, the ICC. It's the religious, political, and financial wellspring of Islam in Ireland. Another impetus for the appearance of Jew hate in the Irish Parliament is the full-time activism of pro-Palestinian propagandists on Ireland's college campuses. This campus activism, and it's, some, it's similar to what's in the States, is spearheaded by Palestinian students who have granted scholarships to study in Ireland. These students and sympathetic teachers recruit Irish natives to form chapters of the Ireland-Palestinian Solidarity Campaign that operate on and off college grounds. The chairman of this is a Palestinian who had emigrated to Ireland three decades ago. There are chapters of this uh, of organization, the Palestine Solidarity Campaign, uh, in most of the large cities in Ireland. There are faculty-assisted chapters of anti-Israel organization on several universities. Uh, in Trinity College, the National University of Ireland, uh, and others, uh, all of whom are uh, propagandized against Israel. There also exists an apparent tacit alliance of convenience between pro-Palestinian politician academics and leftists and right-wing racists, all kind of Holocaust deniers. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation in Ireland, and you hear almost nothing about what is the Jewish population? Well, there are about 2,500 Jews in Ireland. That's very small. The, uh, the, the, although the number of Irish Jews may be slightly on the rise, the political influence of Irish Jewry is really small, and it's, it's waning. The last elected Jew in Ireland, the former Irish Attorney General, was drummed out of office in 2014, following the Irish media's broadcast of unsubstantiated charges of political corruption. Uh, he was exonerated, but his case lends evidence that anti-Semitism is alive and well in Ireland. So they're, they're all kind of Jew-hated among politicians, academics, and Palestinian students to the grounds of several Irish universities. So under the rubric of developing a social justice foreign policy profile for Ireland, some of Ireland's anti-Israel critics may have helped to ignite a, an anti-Semitic campaign that's poisoning what was once a most welcoming Irish society for Jews. That's the situation. You don't see it in the headlines. I wanted to share it with the listeners. It was news to me, and I assume it'll be news to the listeners. I'll be back after the break. Shalom, everybody. Making a difference often takes just one moment and one person at a time. 
I am Orly Benny Davis, your show host on Israel News Talk Radios from Jerusalem with love. You'll be hearing people talking about politics, religion, social issues, and making a better tomorrow. Join me, Orly Benny Davis, for God and Country. From Jerusalem with love. Wednesdays on Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. Because my program only is aired once a week, I try to touch upon items that I call under the radar. There are things that describe life in Israel in particular that don't get the big headlines. So I want to touch upon a few and uh, see how many I can cover that I think would be of interest to the listeners. For example, uh, according to a report by an organization called the Economist Intelligence Unit, they found in a new study that Tel Aviv is the world's most expensive city to live in. According to the data, rising price increases are contributing to the fastest rise in the cost of living for city dwellers in five years. There are two uh, 2021 index which tracks the cost of living across 170 cities around the world, reveals that Tel Aviv is the most expensive city, rising from fifth place in 2020 to overtake Paris, which previously occupied the top spot. On average, prices for the goods and services covered by the index have risen by 3.5% in local currency terms, compared with an increase of 1.9% this time last year. Transportation costs rose most rapidly in this year's survey, mainly because of rising oil prices, driving a 21% increase in the price of unleaded gas, or what they call petrol. Uh, The recreation, tobacco, and personal care categories also showed strong increases. Tel Aviv's rise mainly reflects the strength of the shekel, the Israeli currency, against the U.S. dollar, and this is reflected in increases in grocery and transportation prices. It's interesting, by the way, that the the worldwide cost of living reports that rankings continue to be sensitive to shifts brought about by the corona pandemic, uh, which has affected just about everything. And the uh, people who wrote the report said that the cost of living was expected to further rise in the coming year and that central banks will raise interest to stem inflation. Uh, the top of the list uh, uh, of those that are, um, are expensive and are increasing is the European and developing Asian cities, while the cheapest cities are mainly in the Middle East and Africa. Now, interestingly enough, and I'll close this topic with this subject, 
Damascus, the capital of Syria, retains its place as the cheapest city in the world to live in. Uh, it came at the bottom in seven of the ten pricing categories and close to the bottom in the remaining three. So if you're thinking of living of moving to Damascus uh, because of the cheap prices, feel free to do so. I don't think many people will want to go there for other reasons. The next altogether different pro uh, subject is that a, a government panel has approved a deal to buy new CH-53K heavy lift helicopters. A ministerial committee that oversees defense procurement has approved the deal for the Israeli Air Force to buy these helicopters. They approved the Defense Ministry's recommendations to purchase the helicopters at a cost of, and get this, a cost of $2.4 billion. The, the, um, the discussion surrounding the new helicopters lasted less than an hour before they approved the purchase. Now, who's on this committee that just approved the purchase of $2.5 billion? It includes the prime minister, the, the defense minister, the finance minister, the justice minister, the interior minister, foreign minister, uh, um, and that's it. These are the people decided. Israel announced in February that it would purchase one squadron of these um, CH-53K to replace its fleet of uh, helicopters at the Tonov Air Base. The decision by the committee allows the military to replace the current uh, fleet. And by the way, uh, Israel's been using these American helicopters since uh, 1969. It, it's used to transport soldiers and equipment. And the, uh, the, the helicopter called the Asur, the one that's being replaced, is taken, has taken part in a wide variety of missions, including secret operations, as well as search and rescue missions. So the Israeli government has approved the budget to keep Israel in its lead. We have to have a strong, modern defense system, and it costs money. And that's the, uh, the uh, this, these are the facts on the ground. The next topic has to do with retraining combat soldiers for jobs in civilian life. Israel has a unit called uh, Unit 8200, and this is an intelligence unit that are focused on technological innovation and cyber. And when soldiers finish their service, they're automatic showcases for the private sector. The veterans of that unit, the unit 8200, almost immediately, each one of them, after they retire from the service, they get positions in high-tech companies. This is not the same for combat veterans. There's an, the, one of the combat units is called the Golani unit, and there is a something called the Golani Association, which tries to help these former combat men and women uh, to uh, get jobs in high tech. 
They've risked their lives, and when they finish their service, they don't continue to be a combat soldier. But they also don't have a profession waiting for them like those who served in the, like the Unit 8200, which is military intelligence. So they're trying to help veterans enter the job market. And they, uh, so what happens is uh, they, they, they're pretty much, you know, not in demand. After, after years of being combat troops and risking their lives, they find that they don't have what is needed to get a decent job in the private sector. As a matter of fact, 80% of Galani veterans don't have either a high school matriculation or have good enough scores to learn subjects related to high-tech tech in universities. But what they're trying to do now, they don't, they don't have the knowledge, but they certainly have the ability. So this association helps those who don't have their high school matriculation. They give them a four-month-long preparatory program, a year-long advanced matriculation course, and four years of studies at universities such as the Technion in Haifa. So this association not only provides members uh, of the vets with teachers to provide them, they also provide them with psychological help as well as help with getting employment. But it also connects the students to high-tech companies that are involved with the Golani Association. So uh, now they have, they only have 50 people in the program so far, but they, uh, a couple of years ago, they only had six. So it's an attempt to have combat soldiers find a decent job in a high-tech profession after they spent a couple of years fighting and doing the dirty work of combat. And they deserve to be helped in order to gain employment in high-tech industries. Along these same lines, by the way, the uh, I, the head of the ch chief of staff of the Israeli army, Aviv Kochavi, uh, spoke the other day at a graduation, and he said the following: High tech has great potential. Apparently, makes a lot of people a lot of money, and the people who go into it are talented. But the best are first and foremost measured by their willingness to contribute to the state. The best is measured by their willingness to endanger themselves to defend others. That is the cleanest and purest expression of the concept, the best. And don't dare take it from us. Don't diminish it. Don't modernize it and don't force it to, to conform to the spirit of the times. The best is a timeless value standing like a rock, not eroded by change in fashions or trends or social change. The best are those who do something for someone else, something good, something of value, without asking what's in it for me. And we are a country dealing with many threats and, uh, and six theaters of operation. And the best, and we must say this loud and clear, are the fighters. The managers of companies and business owners are decent, have values, but there are those who give us the security needed for all of us to live. They are the country's best. The best are the combat soldiers who risk life and limb to defend the state. 
not those who sit behind computer screens, even the Army's technological units. That is an interesting thought to close this section of the program. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. You've come to the best station for hot news and sizzling commentary. You're listening to The Jay Shapiro Show. You're back with Jay Shapiro. I want to continue with the uh, under-the-radar portion of my program because I've come upon a number of articles that really should be known, and they appear, if at all, on the back pages of the newspapers here. But I think they're important, and they should be noted. The State of Israel marks the expulsion of Jews from Arab lands. That was a little headline in the paper on one of the back pages. The... uh, there is a gentleman named Dr. Shimon Ohayan. He is the World Federation of Sephardi Jews. And he noted that when the vote for the partition of Palestine was cast at the United Nations General Assembly on November 20, 1947, the Egyptian representative warned that if the resolution passed, Jews in Arab countries would pay a heavy price And that is indeed exactly what happened. The uh, Jews were forced to leave Arab and Muslim lands. Many Jews were killed in pogroms. Jewish homes and places of businesses were ransacked and destroyed. Synagogues were violated and vandalized immediately following the UN vote. 40% of the Egyptian Jewish population fled, leaving all their assets behind because the Arab League incited violence against Jews throughout the Arab world. They had a commemoration ceremony here in Israel two weeks ago, and among the people speaking was the president, Isaac Herzog. Their... It was more than 2,000 years of achievement and tradition of Jews in Arab lands. 
that have been largely ignored in Israel, and it was imperative, according to the president, for their stories to be told. Herzog said that even though immigrants from Arab lands in Iran, Iran is not Arab, even though um, immigrants had arrived in Israel with virtually nothing, there was a spark of optimism and they had overcome their difficulties and had contributed to the building of the nation. I personally know quite a few of, uh, I knew quite a few Jews from Iraq whose family had given up everything and they, they had good businesses in Iraq and and uh, they ended up coming to Israel penniless and they were typical of many families. They overcame the difficulties and helped build up our nation. Uh, there are Jews that come from Morocco and uh, the other countries like that. There's no doubt how or why. There's no doubt how or why Jews left Arab lands. Yet to this day, no Arab government has accepted responsibility. The uh, changes in the region and the normalization of relations between Israel and various Muslim countries will probably strengthen relations between Israel and the few Jews still living in those countries. Uh, I myself, a couple of years ago, I went to Morocco and had a beautiful little synagogue there, a very small community. The, uh, the, the, the Jews who came from those countries were misrepresented somewhat as being poorly refugees. Uh, many of them came uh, with a commitment, like the early pioneers, but after the war broke out here in 1948, the situation became uh, untenable for Jews in many Arab countries. The uh, uh, Altogether, maybe 850,000 Jews who are living in Arab and Muslim lands are estimated to have left at some stage during the 20th century. The largest number of Jews forced out of their countries, uh, 259,000 were forced out of their countries. The largest group was from Morocco, followed by 140,000 kicked out of Algeria and 100,000 from Tunisia. And the other countries that pushed out their Jews included Egypt, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, and Iran. And the the Jews in those countries, many of whom lost everything, never really got the comp compensation or even the recognition of their suffering. And that's something that the, um, the president of Israel, Herzog, is trying to put back on the agenda of the Jewish state. We owe it to these people and to their families. Since we are now between uh, Christmas and New, Year New Year's, I want to say something about the newest Palestinian big lie. They, the Palestinian Authority is probably having something you could call Jesus Envy, which is just one component of the Palestinians' obsessive Israel-Judaism envy. Indeed, Palestinian Authority leaders are so jealous of everything Jewish that they have created an entire Palestinian heritage in the image of the Jewish heritage. The Palestinians falsely 
teach their people that Palestinians are a 5,000-year-old nation. They point to Israel's archaeological finds and claim that they are Palestinian. They teach their children that the Palestinian nation was invaded by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Egyptians, the Greek, and the Romans, and yet the Palestinians survive. In other words, the Palestinians have stolen Jewish history in a nutshell. To complete its rewriting of history, uh, the Palestinian Authority also distorts Christian history, claiming in complete contradiction and lack of respect for Christian belief that Jesus was a Palestinian. According to them, Jesus of the Christian Bible, we know that Christian was a Jew. Uh, that's what we know. But that didn't stop the President Mahmoud Abbas, President of the Palestinian Authority, saying this week that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, a Palestinian. Unquote. The Palestinian government spokesman sent blessings to the Christian communities for this holiday the holiday of the birth of the Palestinian prophet Jesus. Now, some of these false claims uh, about Jesus are really insulting to the Christians. For example, according to Christian tradition, Jesus never married and was celibate. Yet the Fatah, the, um, the uh, organization of the Palestinian Authority, posted on his Facebook page, there is no doubt that Jesus was that the Jesus you worship is the great grandfather of the Palestinian people. The official Palestinian daily Al Yadida went even further, stressing that Jesus, the Palestinian forefather, and the Palestinians are Jesus' descendant. Easter is not a holiday only for Christian Palestinians, it's a holiday for Palestinian nationalism because Jesus is the virtuous, patriotic Palestinian forefather. The Palestinians, Jesus' descendants, rose from the ashes like the phoenix. That is on the, uh, what I just quoted here is from the uh, Palestinian Authority News. It's also insulting to Christians that Jesus, who preached nonviolence, is turned by the Palestinians into a Palestinian terrorist. The official Palestinian daily wrote in 2020, Jesus was a measure of Allah, and he was the first Palestinian fidaya, which is a self-sacrificing fighter. The, the term fidaya is the Palestinian term for primarily PLO and Fatah terrorists who have committed years of terror acts against Israel and against its Jews. So according to them, Jesus is the first Palestinian terrorist, and which is bad. Really, how can, according to Palestinian Islamic ideology, claiming that Jesus is a shahid, uh, as a martyr, means that Jesus is now celebrating an Islamic paradise. So possibly the ultimate insult to Christians is the PAs turning Jesus into a prophet who preached Islam and not Christianity. Uh, Palestinian uh, television, there was a speak, the Mufti said that the, the mission of Islam was an ongoing change from Adam to Muhammad, the prophets were all the same religion. We respect Jesus. We believe in him just as we believe in the prophet Muhammad. So 
This rewriting of history is so important to the Palestinian Authority. It repeats these fictions every year, especially around Christmas time. Uh, they um, they repeat on Palestinian TV this year a, a song with the lyrics, Jesus is a Palestinian. Those Jews who fought Jesus 2,000 years ago are now destroying Jesus' Jesus's own people. Uh, the um, and one of their uh, a member of the joint list here a member of the Knesset and a, a Muslim, a fellow named Sami Shahada said the entire world knows that Jesus is a Palestinian. That's a, that's an Israeli Knesset member. So uh, they said that the, he said Jesus is born in Palestine and and in Bethlehem and he's a Palestinian par excellence. That's a member of the Knesset of Israel. And a Muslim member claiming that Jesus was a Muslim. Uh, I thought that's about as crazy as you can get. Uh, thanks for listening. Jay Shapiro signing off. Israel News Talk Radio. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.